Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our West Conway campus. Thanks for listening. We're looking today in Genesis chapter 11, so if you'd like to turn there, uh, that, would be, uh, that would be great. I want you to imagine, though, for just a minute as you're turning, that you find yourself in a land called Shinar several thousand years ago. Uh, if you can somehow envision time travel, it ought not to be hard for you to also envision that you find yourself in a place called Shinar. Um, I want you to imagine that you walk up on a tall, unfinished tower that's looming over the desert plain. Its base is wide and it's strong, but now it's covered with weeds. Large stones are strewn about the area. They were intended to be added to the height of the tower, but now they're just scattered and abandoned. There are buckets, there are hammers, there are pulleys, they're all abandoned. It's eerie and it's quiet. Years before, that area and that tower was buzzing with activity. The work was impressive, the bragging even more so. It was going to be the world's first skyscraper reaching all the way to heaven. You might wonder what happened to that tower. What happened to the construction? You might wonder what was the purpose of that building. Was it to glorify God? The answer is no. Was it to find God? The answer is no. Was it to encourage people to look up toward God? The answer is no. Your sermon series is entitled Clarity in the Chaos, and I think maybe more than any other text in this series, you'll find that that is what we find in this text. Look with me in Genesis chapter 11, starting to read with verse one. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. There's another version behind me. So between the two of them, you'll get the gist, all right? And you'll be able to follow along. Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down. Notice there the reference to the Godhead, the Trinity. Let us go down, and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face 
of all the earth. Building Babel. According to the standards of our culture, there are three factors that are necessary, that are essential for success of any significant size. Now, you and I can figure out what to have for breakfast, or you and I can figure out maybe what television show to watch, but if you're going to accomplish something of significance, something that really matters, our culture says these three things must be in place. Number one, you must set an ambitious goal. Not just any old goal, an ambitious goal. Number two, develop a plan to reach that goal. You won't stumble into it. It's got to be intentional. Develop a plan to reach that goal. Number three, work hard until that goal is reached. It doesn't just happen. We also have to work for it. And I think that formula is fine as far as it goes. But our text tells us of one of the greatest failures recorded in history, and they followed all the steps that our culture says is necessary to get something big done. You can read the minutes. If it had been a business meeting, it would have been presented by the Tower Planning Committee meeting in verses 3 and 4. Come, let us make bricks. Let us bake them thoroughly. Let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They had an ambitious goal. They perfected the plan. And they worked hard to accomplish the plan, yet they failed miserably. Why? Because God wasn't in it. And that really makes all the difference in the world. You can see the rebellion of man in verses 1 through 4. The people started migrating from the east. In the Old Testament, the east is usually not good. In fact, it's always bad. When something comes from the east, it's a bad thing. If you moved here to Conway from the east, don't take that personally. That's Old Testament. And we're living under a different covenant. These Easterners came back and they started messing things up. The people gathered at this plain called Shinar, which is the area that will eventually be known as Babylon. It was already a high place, but they wanted to make it higher. So they began building cities and population. There was no stone in the region, so the people showed great ingenuity in baking bricks out of dirt and straw and water. They created a mortar out of what my Bible calls asphalt. It was really a a slimy tar that geologists today call bitumen. This was oil country then. It still is today, modern-day Iraq. And there were tar pits everywhere. So they figured out how to make bricks. They figured out how to make mortar and they began to build. When you look at the text, you can see all the things that that tend to mark and characterize who they were. You see their unity in verse 1. They had one language and one speech. The whole earth, everybody, one language, one dialect. They were saying the same thing, and it sounded the same way. But just because a group is united doesn't mean they're right. Unity apart from God is as wrong as wrong can be 
It doesn't matter how many people agree on it. You see their unity. You also see their locality. That's a word you probably hadn't heard since the Beverly Hills, uh, Beverly Hillbillies theme song. You're all invited back next week to this locality. They dwelt there in verse 2. They settled down there. That was their locality. They said in verse 4, lest we be scattered. And you may say, well, what's the big deal? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, God had commanded mankind to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. Then again, after the flood, which you all studied about just a week or two ago, God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. They did just the opposite. They settled in a place together. They intended to be a place that people would gather to, not scatter from. We see their creativity in verse 4. Come, let us build. Verse 6, God says, this is what they begin to do. This was only the beginning. What would they think of next? That creativity that was a part of the nature that God placed in man that makes us in some way made in his image, they had twisted it. They had warped it and perverted it and were making it something that he didn't intend. We see their nobility in verse 4. They said, let us build a tower whose top is in the heavens. We see their identity in verse 4. Let us make a name for ourselves. It, uh, it, it could be the, the motto of humanism. It's all about us. Let us make a name for ourselves. We see their humanity in verses 3 and 4. It's about us and us and we and God is never mentioned. It was ambitious and they wanted to be impressive. We see their security. It's probable that they were wanting to protect themselves from the, from the other people around them by building a city with walls. It's possible they were building a tower because they were concerned about a future flood and they wanted to somehow make sure they would always be above it. They were concerned about their security. We see their ability. They had started the work, and evidently God was certain they would complete it if left to their own devices. In verse 6, God says they'll be able to do anything they put their minds to. And we hear that all the time here in America. There's nothing we can't do if we put our minds to it. There's no problem we can't solve. There's nothing we can't do. They had these God-given abilities, and we would all say that all of these are probably good things, and in the right context, they are. But there was also a sin nature that perverted these great ideas. What were they hoping to accomplish? I think it boiled down to two things. I think it boiled down to selfishness and substitution. They were selfish. They wanted independence. They wanted to stay put. They wanted to make a name for themselves. They were selfishly ambitious. But God was not then, and I don't think he is today, impressed with selfish ambition. But there was also substitution. They wanted the the top of their tower to be in the heavens, not to be close to God, but to be equal with God. It was intended to be a substitute religion, a way to get to God their way 
not his way. And it makes me wonder why we would try to find a way to the God who came to us. With all of our thinking and with all of our planning and with all of our creativity, with all of our morality and with all of our common sense, we tend to think that we can figure out a way to God that's better than the way that he came to us. And we'll never do it. In our best day, we'll never find a way to get to God that's better than the way he came to us. And why would we want to? Why would we want to outdo the greatest thing that's ever been done for us? The greatest love that's ever been shown to us? What could we create that's better than Jesus and the salvation that he brings? We see the rebellion of man, and then we see the response of God. But the Lord came down to see, to determine, to assess what was being done. The people had said, we can build a tower that can take us to God. But it's almost comical that the Bible describes that from God's perspective, it's described as a tower that's so tiny that God, has, that, that God can't even see it unless he bends down and looks through straining eyes at the greatest they had to offer it was nothing compared to him in the eventual uh, Babylonian language Babel means gateway of the gods and that's how they saw it but in Hebrew it means confusion and that's what God made it. What did God do? He confused their language. It was a simple thing, really. Almost comical when you think about it. He didn't kill them. He didn't destroy what they were building. He just confused them. It's kind of funny when you think about it, how these people who were thinking they were so powerful... Yet God could have so easily overpowered them. They found themselves looking at each other, babbling at each other, not able to understand one another, until they eventually just threw up their hands and walked away from the project. He confused their language. But secondly, he scattered the people. The Lord scattered them because they would not scatter themselves. We don't know how God did this. It's possible that he just somehow put it in their minds to go. We don't know how it happened, but the Bible makes it very clear, once in verse 8, once in verse 9, that it was God who did it. Why did God do it? What was behind his actions? Is God jealous of man? Is God threatened by the tower? Had he lost control of mankind and their inventive ways? I think the reason that God came down to investigate and the reason that God confused their language and the reason that God scattered the people, I think it was an act of mercy. It was God saying, let's stop man in his foolishness from destroying themselves. God could see where this was heading. He had dealt with this just a few chapters before. 
He dealt with this, where this was heading with a worldwide flood just a few chapters before. So with a thought, he put a stop to it. He caused their speech to become confusing. He caused this confusion to cause them to scatter. And he took man's greatest achievement and he showed them it really wasn't such a big deal after all. My wife and I have six grandkids. Two of them go to church here, and I thank you for loving them, taking care of them in your nursery and in your child care. But we have these blocks in our house. They're bigger than Legos. These are harder to swallow. They'll figure out how to do it if you leave them alone long enough. But we've got a big bag of these, and I didn't want to bring the whole bag. I just brought five. But if we were to take these and dump these out in front of those kids that range from age five down, they would begin to either chew on these or suck on these or build something with these. And if we were to tell them, I want you to build something, we gave them 50 of them, just the same size, look just like this, maybe in different colors, and we told them, build something for me. The two-year-olds would take these and they would take one and then they'd put another one on top of it and another one on top of it and they would put another one on top and another on top and they'd build it as high as they could. They never build it wide. They never build it out. They just build it up. They build a tower. That's what two-year-olds do. But if I were to take a 20-year-old and I were to give you the same 50, you'd do the same thing you'd see how high you could make that thing. If I were to give it to 50-year-old guys, not women, I don't know what women would do. I think they'd probably be smarter than we are. But if I were to give it to a bunch of 50-year-old guys, they'd do the same thing. And if there were more than one in the room, they'd turn it into a competition. And when they got done, they'd step back and they'd admire that thing. They'd be proud of themselves for the tower that they'd built as high as they could build it. And, they, and, and if they could, maybe if the wife were home or somebody were there, they'd go get them, they'd bring them in, and they'd say, look at what I did. Look at what I accomplished. She thought you were in there doing something really productive, something that really mattered. Instead, you were building a tower as high as you could build it. That's what we tend to do. We like to build towers. We like to build Babels. That's what I know about two-year-olds and 20-year-old guys and 50-year-old guys. Here's what I also know about two-year-old guys and 20-year-old guys and 50-year-old guys. Again, I don't know about women. But if somebody had built that tower and left it standing in the room and they'd stepped back and they were admiring that tower as tall as they could possibly build it in all of their pride... The next person who came in, if they were two-year-old or 20-year-old or 50-year-old, you know what they do, don't you? They'd knock it down because that's what we do. We like to build the towers and we like to knock them down because they really don't matter so much. We think they matter at the time. It's kind of like that free throw percentage trophy that I won when I was in the 12th grade at basketball in high school. All the athletes won the big trophies. The kid who couldn't do much of anything else but 
stay after practice and shoot free throws every day, that's the trophy I won. It really doesn't matter very much. I still got it, but I don't know where it is because that's what we do with trophies. And that's what eventually happens to our towers. We build Babels regardless of our age. If we're not careful, we're tempted to build Babels. We're tempted to build towers. But most of the towers that you and I build, they don't last very long and they don't matter very much. I wonder what God thinks of all the towers that you and I have worked so hard to build. Let me name a few of them. The Tower of Fame, the Tower of Fortune. We all want to be known. We want to make a name for ourselves. We all want the big bank. We want the big account. We want to make sure that we're secure when we're, when we're 60 or 70 or hopefully maybe even 40 or 50. And if we're not careful, that tower of security becomes a babble for us. Our tower of security, our tower of success, our tower of significance, our tower of popularity, our tower of power, we spend most of our lives building babbles, towers that we think are a pretty big deal. We all build towers. Sadly, sometimes even churches build towers. But I don't think God's so impressed with our towers. I don't think he's impressed with the towers that lost people build, those people who don't even know him, don't have a relationship with him, and you can't expect much more than that from them. But I don't think he's impressed with our towers either. Those things that we spend so much time on and those things that we think are so important. I would ask you, are you building any towers? Have you been busy Babel building. I would ask you, when you think of words like impact or purpose or making a difference or leaving a legacy or being remembered, what is it that comes to your mind? What is it that you want to be known for? What is it that you're living for? What is it that you want to be remembered for? I hope it has to do more with just your tower. Something that you can build pretty quick and doesn't matter very much. I hope it's got more to do than just your tower. But I wonder, does it have more to do with your tower or does it have more to do with God's kingdom? I wonder, does it have more to do with your will or does it have more to do with his will? I wonder, does it have more to do with your preference or does it have more to do with his purpose? That's not just a question for individuals. That's a question for families. That's a question for businesses. That's a question for churches. When we spend so much time doing the things that we do, why do we? What does it really matter if it's not about him, if he's not a part of it? What is it that you're focused on? You may be wondering, well, you know, I'm just not sure. 
Would you call what I'm doing building a Babel? Would you call what I'm investing in something that God would not be pleased with? Well, I would ask you to consider three things. First of all, study your motives. Why are you doing what you're doing? If the reason you're working as hard as you can work is to put back as much as you can put back so that you'll be able to take care of yourself and your family, that's awesome until you realize you really don't have that much control. God's the one who will determine how your family is cared for. Had a deacon in one of my churches one time that every day from the time that he was about 30 years old, he got up every morning and he ate oatmeal for breakfast. And he said, I'm gonna eat this oatmeal for breakfast. He said, I can't stand it, I hate it but I'm gonna eat it every day for breakfast so that I can be as healthy as I possibly can. And so he did that every morning, eating his oatmeal until he, until he worked his job and retired from the job and died within a year. Hooray for oatmeal. I'm telling you, some crunch berries would have gone a long way. You see, we build babbles in our life thinking we've got more control than we do. I would ask you to study your motives. Ambition is great, but ambition apart from God's will is just foolish. It's a big waste of time. So ask yourself the question, why am I spending so much time doing the things that I'm doing? Building this tower. Is it something that God's a part of? Is it something that God's pleased with? Study your motives. Secondly, Set your eyes and your heart and your mind on what God wants you to be building. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying today. God does want you to be active. God does want you to be busy. God does want you to be building something. He just wants you to build something that matters, that's really going to make a difference, something that he can be a part of, not something that he has to knock down. Set your, your mind, your heart, your eyes on what it is that God wants you to build. And if you don't know what that is, then ask him. He wants nothing more than to tell you. The third thing I would tell you is this, to simplify and surrender. We're almost to the end of the first month of this year, and if you made a New Year's resolution at the beginning of this month, chances are you've already broke it. And chances are you've already trashed it. And you've already said, well, there's always next year. I'm telling you, if you want to reset, that's a pretty good resolu resolution to simplify and surrender. To look at your life and say, you know, I'm, I'm pretty busy, but I'm not sure I'm busy doing the things that really matter. Is there anything I need to call out to stop doing to simplify. And this surrender your calendar, surrender your time, surrender your heart, surrender your, your preferences, your purpose, your mission, your goal, your plans. Surrender it to God. And then begin to look at what kind of a tower you two can build together. I don't know that there's anybody better at building towers than God is, but there'll be towers that matter. They may not be the highest towers, but they'll be the significant towers. They'll be the towers that matter. 
They'll be the towers that make a difference. They'll be the towers that make an impact. They'll be the kind of towers that you'll want to be remembered for. So I'm asking you this morning, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, chances are you're tempted to build towers. You're tempted to build a Babel. And I don't know what that tower would look like, but here's what I know. If God's not pleased with it, he'll knock it down. And it'll all be wasted. Why not start at the front end and ask God, God, what is it that you and I can do together? What is it that we can build together? Wouldn't it be awesome if our churches started at the front end and said, God, what is it that you would have us to do? Wouldn't it be incredible if our families decided to sit down together and say, let's decide together what God would have us to do? Wouldn't it be great as individuals if we looked at our lives and said, God, why have you put me here? What is it that you want me to do? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.